In episode nine of the Sober Bros podcast, Daniel and I are going to be talking about Russell Brand's book, Recovery. I haven't read it, but Daniel has. He's taken some highlights on it, and he's going to share them with us in this episode of the Sober Bros podcast. Let's get in it. How you doing? A minute. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Still sober? Uh-huh. Nice. Any challenges? Any temptations? Yeah, I was picking up uh, a friend from the airport a couple nights ago. A fellow alcoholic. Yeah, still an alcoholic? Nope. She's been sober for a little bit now. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> yeah, we were talking about it, you know, like, cool, Callie is starting a fire, so we're going to go and hang out, but we're all sober. Yeah. You know, like, talking about just how awkward that could be and, you know, what the fuck are we going to talk about and... Yeah, I think it was like 8.30, 9 o'clock at night or something driving home and, you know, just talking about how I'm out and about and I just feel this clawing at my throat. You know, I'd just rather be drinking. I was like, yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, I'm just going to admit it to myself. Sobriety fucking sucks. Mm, Sometimes. It's great in the morning. Yes, that's the best. Sobriety is the best in the morning. Yeah. And just kind of dealing with that and just recognizing that, seeing it. Um, so yeah, like on a daily basis, it's still oftentimes very difficult. And in the last several weeks, uh, such buried, um, emotional stuff has been coming out and it's just been really amazing to get in there and start really looking at things. And for the first time in my life and seeing the profundity and the actual significance of early childhood trauma, basically. And, um, it's ridiculously difficult sometimes and it just usually feels like it would feel better or be easier if I was just drinking while it was happening, which I know wouldn't be the case. So how are your energy levels? You still sleeping, waking up early, working, working, you know, and that's been good. Um, with all this emotional stuff coming up, I've felt the tendency, the, really powerful desire to just really withdraw and to hide and be alone during this process and it's so fucking tender and raw and real it's hard to describe to most people and it's a waste of time to describe it to most people because it's just too powerfully like my own Mm -hmm. to really get into it's like having a dream and then like waking up and telling somebody about it a little bit like that, yeah. <laughs> because it's just like you say a bunch of stuff and then, then it's just there in their lap and what the fuck are they supposed to do with it? They're not a therapist, you know, and Yeah. Um, so it's just you know, people are like, Hey, how's it going? Great. And it really is, you know, altruistically and metaphysically, it is. It's really amazing. And I don't shy away from this work and I think so much of the stuff that I've been going through, a lot of people, it would just be really devastating. It really just makes me very excited to get into it because of the healing opportunity. So are you still committed to like a lifelong sobriety thing? Are you still? Absolutely. Yeah, I can't. I just and more and more and more clearly seeing it as the coping mechanism that it was. And how it just led to such self-destructive patterns really ingraining ingraining deepening those negative feedback loops and programs and ideas about myself so is there like a invisible internal tangle of some kind of threads that now needs to be Mm -hmm. unwound yeah definitely there's tremendous material to sift through 
and allow all of these feelings to come up um, as much as they possibly can, no matter how difficult or uncomfortable it is. Do you have like, uh, are you the kind of person that has like, where do you see yourself in five years, three years, one year? Do you have like a vision of who you want to be or what your life should look? No, no. You're just going to do the work right now and see what happens. Yeah. See what kind of comes out of that process. Um, and I, and I try not to put any kind of expectations on that, you know, other than being a more, um, healed, integrated person. So I'm, I'm stoked to get into this, uh, Russell Brand book because it's been on my radar for a while. I understand you've read it. You've taken some notes on it. You're going to share some highlights with us. Uh, some people thoughts on Russell Brand before we get into the book um, for myself. Um, it seems like he can be polarizing. Some people love oh, him. Some people can stand him. I'm kind of in the middle. It depends on the interview because I've watched a right. number of interviews with him online. And <clears throat> I really like the version of him where he might start off a interview with somebody like he comes out very quiet and Zen. And he's like, after five minutes or so, he's lit up. Like that side of him comes out and that's a bit much for me. Like, uh, but I like what he says in general. I like obviously his story of his checkered past, his mm -hmm. addictions. And <clears throat> as far as I understand, he's been 20 years mm -hmm. sober at this point. And that's where I want to be. Mm -hmm. I think it'd be cool to like read his words instead of listen to him yell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, start digging into some of your highlights. Yeah. So. I thought that this book was great of my friend Bill, guitar player, singer from Black Forest. He gave me this book when he was extremely worried about me. He was one of the few people um, <clears throat> to actually vocalize how concerned he was for me. Mm. And he gave me this book. And I started reading it while still drinking. Yeah, I was over at your place one day and I saw it on the counter. I just made a mental note. I was like, oh. He's... Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Not really working for you not really working for me and you know what this book wouldn't work for me i'm gonna i'm gonna say that like this book would not work for me mm. i'm just too intellectual about it so i read all these things and it makes sense intellectually but it doesn't like actually make any changes inwardly so yeah i find tremendous amounts of uh, material in this book to be i think very valuable for a lot of people once I did get sober, um, I did. I found even more valuable things in there, and I really like his approach. Uh, some of my notes, uh, it actually is very good about um, summing up the entirety of the book in a couple of paragraphs throughout the book, and then the rest of it is just like the process. So it's a it's twelve step. It's based on Alcoholics Anonymous, and he came into it like a staunch atheist and just bristling at like the whole god concept and higher power and all of these things uh and i know that you know we talked about this with callie and a, a bunch of other people i didn't know that there was like this whole idea that 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 alcoholics anonymous was this patriarchal thing uh that was news to me um but i respect that and i think it's also kind of in it it could be used as an excuse for other people just to not do something like, okay, it's patriarchal. It has something to do with God. So I'm just going to throw it out. Um, I am interested more in that perspective. I also got recently the book. Um, I think it's quit like a girl or quit like a woman. Uh, so it's a 
from a woman's perspective on how to quit alcohol in a society that really prizes alcohol and really pushes that agenda. So I'm excited to get into that. Um, I think he does a great job of softening the 12-step program for a lot of people who would be really resistant to it. Uh, at the systems about the terms and labels. Um, because at the outset, you look at a lot of the steps and it can feel disempowering. Like you're giving up a lot of power. You're like having to now listen to another authority, which you kind of are, you know, but a lot of people don't want to give that up because we hide behind our addictions. We hide behind our traumas and uh, this personality that develops based on those things. Uh, so I get that. And he does a great job, I think, of softening the blow and making it a lot more. I mean, he just, you know, the back cover thing is like riddled with expletives. You know, are you a step one? Are you a bit fucked? Could you not be fucked? Are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? Write down all the things that are fucking you up or forever fucked you up and don't lie or leave anything out. So he's really, really putting this into like what's going on in our own heads. So like right towards the beginning, he says the whole point of undertaking this program of picking up this book is to change the way it feels to be in your own head because on some level, you don't like it in there. It is making you unhappy. You think thoughts and feelings that are unpleasant to experience. That's the case with so many people, you know, when we run to so many things in order to silence those voices or to quiet those feelings down and just not feeling comfortable to be oneself. Um, there's a heavy emphasis on self-inquiry and accountability with a sponsor. It doesn't have to be like through Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's somebody who like knows what you're going through, who has been there and who can listen. Because like we've talked about with addicts, I can't just go and talk to somebody who doesn't have the same problem. They're just not going to get it. Mm -hmm. That's a totally understandable. Sponsor. So do people pay for sponsors? No. Like it's just like somebody. No, and Alcoholics like... Anonymous, it's like somebody who's been through the program for a long time and has done all oh. the 12 steps. But what if you don't go to AA? How do you get a sponsor? It could just be reaching out to somebody in your community who has offered their mm. uh, presence. That seems to me like a pretty rare uh, gift to be able to have access to. Oh, yeah, because. <laughs> somebody who's willing to donate time like a lot of time like the time i donate to thinking about my cat out there right now who's been injured for weeks like i'm i devote time to thinking about them another human would have to devote time thinking about uh -huh. you and communicating with you uh-huh yeah frank ferranti has offered to be a sponsor to me and i haven't taken him up on that um yet mostly because my own process is so inward and I find it easier to process things and get through things um, on my own without having to talk about it. And it's the same thing with like talking to addicts. Like you don't want a sponsor who has not been through what you've been through because they're just not going to get it. My own internal process, spiritual, intellectual process is so uniquely my own that I find it very difficult oftentimes for other people to understand what's going on inside of me. And I would rather just trust myself and go through that process on my own and i'm i really stand by that and i don't think that's the case for everybody so what's another highlight um yeah <clears throat> and what chapter is it from are you kind of going chronological yeah chronological um because i read the book and then i went back through it again just briefly 
taking some notes and consolidating everything because I'm not going to go into every single step that he goes through in mm. the whole process. Um, but there was a big emphasis on making amends and forgiveness. At least that was really impactful for me. Reaching out to people that I've crossed boundaries with, you know, or I've affected because of alcoholic patterns. It's such a humbling act to go to scrutinize my entire past and to find out even the smallest ways that alcohol has impacted myself and our relationships, my relationships with other people. We went back through this in the episode on the Red Rocks. And that humbling process, I think, is really disarming and allows more of a healing process to happen. I think so making amends, apologizing, asking for forgiveness actually really helps to cultivate the self-forgiveness. Yeah, there's probably no coincidence in the alliteration of healing and humility. Right. Yeah, one of my favorite people to tune into online is for years has been Jaco Willink. Right. Retired Navy SEAL, uh, wrote books, prolific um, creator and public figure. Uh, he says that in leadership, in most intense situations, the most important yeah. lesson that he's taken from all of that, and I have to believe him when he says this, the most important factor in effective leadership is humility. Right. Service. Above all else, humility. So mm -hmm. you really got to think about mm -hmm. what it looks like for you, one, to be yeah. humble. Yeah. So what's the next one? Um, yeah, he, so he goes into some detail about early childhood trauma and societal expectations and programming and how those things affect people and contribute to the pathway to addiction and addictive behaviors, whether or not they're, and he has them all over the book. Um, caffeine, smoking, alcohol, gambling, sex, work, drugs, gambling, social media, Twitter, drama, chocolate, um, yeah, I know. And there's like uh, over a hundred more than that. In fact, just this morning, I was thinking yeah. of what's another addiction because I just sometimes think about that. I was thinking some people are addicted to compliments, uh -huh. external validation. Yeah, uh, it's a very real thing and worthy of many hours of exploring yeah. those things. Um, and so he's also kind of solution oriented and he touches upon elements of Eastern yogic tradition and spirituality, which is not absent from the big book. You know, there's a lot of spirituality in the Alcoholics Anonymous book that I think are extremely relevant and worthy of exploration by just people in general because, yeah, again, since getting sober, I'm just realizing just like now, like looking out and seeing addictive behavior in, in everything. Yeah, modern civilization is just really kind of steeped in addictive right. tendencies. Yeah, and that's, so, at the end, he really sums it up and he says, I'm just going to read it. Uh, this is what it is at the heart of the book. That addiction, however severe or mild, is the sincere attempt to address a real problem. The lack of fulfillment that the lack of fulfillment um, that the material world can provide. Therefore, the solution to this problem is a spiritual connection, no matter what somebody is doing to the point where it harms themselves if they are lost in life. And afraid even to articulate how unhappy they are, how afraid of the future, death of other people, of being poor, of not being good enough, sexy enough, thin enough, tough enough, famous enough. They feel that they are not enough and that if only they could do X, Y, or Z. 
then everything would be fine. They may very well be on the spectrum of addiction. That includes fucking everybody. Mm-hmm. By this definition, trying to solve an inner problem by outer means in spite of negative consequences. The fulfillment that we seek outwardly is already within. And that's like the main takeaway. So is that towards the end of the book? Yeah, that was towards the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he goes into like um, the making amends. Like he's one of the steps is taking account of like everything, anybody who fucked with you your entire life. So this is like part of the early parts of uh, acknowledging why we are the way that we are can be like this bristly kind of thing. Like just go through your life and and as early as you can remember, anybody that ever fucked with you caused you harm, caused you hurt, like write it down, write it down and um, start and then start to subcategorize it. Like did this, you know, were these things that happened to me threatening in which way? Did it threaten my physical safety? Did it threaten my ego? Did it threaten, um, was there anything like sexually threatening about this? Did it harm my finances and all these subcategories to really find out? And then from there, taking self-accountability, making a very detailed list of how and who we harmed any single person, any, like he goes into, uh, he was working for MTV and they let him have a car. And they're like, this is only supposed to get you from your house to the studio, but he like egregiously overused it. And um, he wanted to make amends to MTV. So it could be like a bigger corporate structure like that. Does he talk about money at all in the book? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he goes on quite a bit about money. I mean, because he came from like a pretty impoverished background. Can you recall anything off the top of your head? I'm curious because that's something I think a lot about even this morning, like this scarcity mentality that I probably have. Like even though we sold the house and we have some money, like we're not worried about it. Credit's paid off. Credit yeah. debt is paid off. I still find myself thinking, man, I need to put some more money away because it could be gone at some point, you know, like this yeah. fear that I have this financial fear because that's all I've ever known. I'm always worried. I want to have enough. I want to not worry. I want that thing that Tony Robbins and all the financial gurus call financial freedom where you have your debt paid off. <clears throat> you have money in savings. You have money invested um, and you can go on vacations and not worry. Mm-hmm. Does he talk about like those thought patterns and mm-hmm. maybe, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the strive to be financially successful, to be wealthy, um, to have everything he couldn't have when he was a kid, that uh, sense of security. And sometimes freedom. I wonder, since we were born into poverty and like that's really all I've ever known was financial stress. Yeah. Will I ever transcend that? Will I ever live the life that I dream of, of financial freedom? That's up to you. But how do I do that? I don't fucking know. You know, I mean, from my own perspective, maybe one of the keys to financial freedom is just to going to be like inner freedom. And there are plenty of people who have achieved, obviously, financial freedom and success without getting to the underlying issues of why we even like are driven to have that money. And I've been reflecting so much about the upbringing because like in utero, we were exposed to tremendously unstable and unsafe environments perpetually and then as soon as we came out it was the same type of thing and dad was an alcoholic i think i was probably maybe eight years old 
seven, eight years old when he stopped drinking. <clears throat> and I don't really have it. very many memories of him coming home drunk and being violent, just a couple. But uh, yeah, mom has plenty of descriptions of how violent he could get. And so here we are as fucking kids and just exposed to tremendously unsafe and like psychologically, emotionally, and physically dangerous environments. And actually what that's doing to like your genetic makeup, it's turning some genes on, it's turning some genes off. It's keeping us in a constant state of like fight or flight kind of thing. And different people respond to it different ways. You've responded to it, you know, in different ways than I have for sure. And uh, one of your ways apparently was just to completely fucking shut down. Mine has been in some ways, but I developed a coping mechanism of like intellectually being able to process things and defend myself with words. I think we should find a therapist that's willing to come on this show and like do a live session with us. We'll pay him, right? Yeah. Can we do that? No. Anyway, so that's some final thoughts, takeaways from the book. Lots to uncover. Hey, I want to let you know that... Uh, this is a video podcast. You can stream it on our YouTube channel. TheSoberBros.com is our website. We got a newsletter going out every week. Uh, be sure to rate and review on Spotify if you're digging the content that we're putting down. And be sure to stay tuned for episode 10. The next episode, we're going to be doing something very different that we have never done before. We're going to be trying a lineup of hot sauces that we got from the YouTube show Hot Ones by but first we feast if you've ever seen that show you know what's in store for that they have celebrities on and they do all kinds of insane hot sauces and some people freak out and quit and some people surprisingly endure so we are going to see how we hold up we think we have a pretty high tolerance for heat but there's only one way to find out stay tuned for the next episode when we try those hot sauces let's fucking rip it up <laughs>